Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat. And uh, as you grab a seat, I just want to let you know something really exciting is happening upstairs today, and that is uh, for our kids' ministry, the launch uh, today of a brand new curriculum called Gospel Project. And so if you're in uh, if you're in this room and you have kids upstairs, I just encourage you, they're going to come home with uh, uh, just some devotions this week. Uh, do those with them. This, this new curriculum is an amazing journey through all of Scripture, but really highlighting God's redemptive, God's story of redemption that we see throughout all of scripture, teaching our kids uh, that God is writing a redemption story all through the Bible and that it's all interconnected. And so uh, anytime you launch a brand new curriculum in a church, uh, that kids ministry team has literally poured hours and hours and worked tirelessly for the launch of the gospel project this morning. And so if you would just join me in thanking our kids ministry team for their investment. And um, we, we believe that that's going to reap a great fruit for generations to come. Uh, if you have a Bible now, get it open and get it on your lap to Acts chapter 15. And if you need one under a seat nearby, you'll find one. Acts chapter 15 is where we're going to start uh, this morning. And um, as you turn there... Um, I think all of us know and we agree that when we talk about a group being unified, when we talk about a group of people living in unity, when we think about unity in a church or in any other place, workplace or whatever, we often think about unity from the standpoint of the common things we all agree on. And so that is so true. Every group that is unified is unified in agreement around some core or foundational elements that brings unity amongst the group. Uh, today, I'm going to raise kind of an odd question that I believe the passage raises for us to wrestle with today, and that is this. How do we disagree and remain unified? How do we disagree and remain unified? Um, we often talk about in, in the church, and not only our, when I, when I talk about the church today, I'm talking about the big C church, not just Harvest, uh, the church across, the global church across the world. We often talk about those things that we're agreeing on in the Lord. My question that we're going to raise today is, um, can we disagree in the Lord? Are there aspects that, yes, we have to be in complete agreement on, and are there aspects that the Lord allows some freedom to disagree on? And now here's why I bring this up today. We are going to see something um, shocking happen in this week's passage. Uh, we've been following for the last couple of weeks, uh, uh, mainly the, in the book of Acts, the storyline has been continued or has been moved forward through the following of two men and their partnership in ministry. And these two guys are Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas have been on what we call the first missionary journey together. Uh, these men have done in-the-trenches ministry at this point where we pick it up today for something in the neighborhood of like four to five years. They have covered hundreds of miles together, over mountains, through mountains, around mountains. It was no doubt Barnabas who was nursing the wounds of Paul after Paul was stoned. And that's what makes today so shocking. Today we see one of the most famous ministry partnership breakups in all of history. Today we're going to watch as these two, the scriptures say, disagree. And it doesn't just say they disagree, it says they sharply disagree. And their sharp disagreement 
leads to one of the men walking in this direction and the other man walking in this direction. And now, when I mapped out this series and I saw that this week was coming, I made some assumptions on the passage. I imposed some thoughts on the passage. And I think that if we're not careful, sometimes as Christians we can do this. I assumed some things that because Paul and Barnabas break up, that this is all bad. In fact, I assume some things that you're probably assuming as you hear that, whoa, Paul and Barnabas are breaking up today. Um, Who sinned? And I think Luke, the writer of Acts, is very careful to highlight, um, no one one sinned here. Yeah, 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 but but, but, come on. Who is in the the wrong here? And Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, is very careful to not say either was in the wrong. But, but... (laughs) But Paul and Barnabas break up. That's like Pippin and Jordan breaking up, right? This can't be good. There's nothing good that can come from this, right? Actually, I think God's going to bring some real, real good out of this. And here's the statement we're going to build towards as we study the breaking up of Paul and Barnabas in their formal ministry partnership. Here's the, here's the, here's the sentence we're going to build toward today. We can disagree on ministry methods and remain in missional unity. We can disagree on ministry methods and still be one unified big C global church. And as we move towards this statement and the studying of Paul and Barnabas going in separate ways today, uh, we're going to move towards this statement in a couple different ways today. We're going to first ask the question, what must we agree on as Christians? What is core? What is foundational? What can there be no disagreement on? What must we agree on as Christians? And then where is there room, and the word I'm using is methods, where is there room for disagreements on method and how we carry out ministry? That's kind of the first thing we're going to tackle. The second thing we're going to tackle in this message is this. Um, How in the world could God actually use our loving disagreements on method to build his kingdom? Because I think that's what we're going to see here. And then the third thing that we're going to build towards as it centers on this statement is how do we ensure, how do we ensure that our disagreements as the body of Christ over methodological things never lead to long-term relational division and rifts? Because, I'm arguing from the passage today, we can disagree on some method stuff in the body and be in complete unity relationally and missionally, and we're going to see how that works. And now, this is really important. Um, It's important, I believe, that we invest the next 34 minutes of our life to understanding this. Because I believe this will affect how we as a church interact with other churches who do things differently than we do. I believe this is really important so that when we find ourselves sitting across another Christian, another brother or sister in the faith, that we don't get hung up in arguments over method stuff. That where we differ on core doctrine, we get God's word open and we hammer that out together. Where, we, where there's division over un, unreconciled sin, we for sure, we hammer that out, we get on the same page. But then where there's different on just methods of how we go about the mission Jesus has given us, we go, praise God. Praise God. There's room to differ on this. This has massive implications, I believe, for how the Big C, capital C, church lives together as a body. And 
if we miss on this, and Christians, we've missed on this a lot in the past. We've made method things, mission things, and it's led to division. And then you have this broken world looking on on this bride of Christ thing called the church. And they see us so fractured and divided over method things. This has massive implication for the, bro- the broken lost world looking in on the body of Christ. What if they would see us lockstep unified relationally and missionally and giving grace and freedom where God gives grace and freedom for us to do some things differently? Come on. I didn't know I was that excited to preach this. But I am. But I am because I'm out of breath. Because I believe at times in our past as the church, we've um, majored on some method things that we made mission things. And God's like, come on, people. Let's give some freedom. What do I mean by all this? Let's pray and then let's let the text lead us in this. God, help us now. Lord, help us now understand what we need to understand from this. Lord, um, we're going to watch Paul and Barnabas go in different directions. That's going to be hard for our heart. We're going to assume that, we're going to make some assumptions because of their split here that there was sin or in the wrong. But Lord, I just believe, I've always imposed that on this passage, but Luke's not writing that here under the inspiration of your spirit. So God, help us to know where, there, where we can be redemptively disagreeing on some things and still be completely unified as a family. This is important for us to know, Lord, because frankly, we just don't know how to do this real well. And so God, would you use your word powerfully in our hearts today as we study it? We ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Pick it up with me, Acts chapter 15 and verse 36. Verse 36 says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And so uh, let me catch us up on where we're banned. That verse starts with after some days. Uh, Last week we saw this Jerusalem council, this letter that was written and came out of the church in Jerusalem saying, hey, Gentiles, you don't need to become Jews through and through. Here's some common uh, agreements we would ask uh, for the good of the fellowship of the body. And now uh, we're back in Antioch and Paul goes to Barnabas and he says, hey, I got a, I got a thought. What if we go back to all of those cities we went to on our first missionary journey? And what if we just do a checkup? What if we see how they're doing? Um, why, is this, why is this of interest to Paul? Why is this of major interest to Paul? A couple things, I think. Do you remember what he endured? Do you remember what he and Barnabas endured as they went to these towns? And no doubt in the back of his brain, it's playing out. What are these Christians, what are these baby Christians going through in these communities where they're now following Christ? I think another thing that's hot on Paul's heart here is this letter, this verdict coming out of the church in Jerusalem, making sure these Gentile and Jewish believers in these cities know about the outcome of the Jerusalem council. And so Paul goes up to Barnabas one day and he says, hey man, how about a return trip? Let's go check on these Christians. And what we expect to happen is Barnabas to go, great man, saddle up, let's go. And yet it's not what we see, verse 37. Now, now Barnabas wanted to take with them, who? John called Mark. Barnabas wanted to take with him John Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. 
Okay, so let me kind of hit the rewind button uh, for us on the story. Um, On the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas, with John Mark with them, hit the north shore of the Mediterranean. And remember, we saw this picture of the north shore of the Mediterranean. We said, "Look, look at those beautiful beaches. Lord, send me. I'll go. But then we said, what is the dominant geographical feature in the background of this? Those, my friends, are mountains. And Paul and Barnabas stared the mountains in the face to get up north into this region. And they went, bring it. Let's go. And John Mark said, peace. I'm out. And he went back home. Acts 13, 13 tells us this. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. This from a couple chapters ago, is now a major sticking point in, hear my words, in how Barnabas and Paul see the best way to move forward in the mission. This is a major sticking point on how to move forward with the mission here. And then we get to this very hard statement and sad statement for us to read in verse 39. And there arose... A sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. And now I believe as Luke records this sharp disagreement, he's very careful not to say who was in the wrong here. In fact, I think he's saying neither one was in the wrong here. They had an impasse they could not come to a conclusion on the best way, the how to move forward here. He describes this not just as a disagreement, he describes this as a sharp disagreement. We know, um, we've experienced, we've been part of sharp disagreements in our own life. We've watched other people who are interacting in a sharp disagreement. You can imagine the tension level is a bit elevated. Emotions are high. But Luke does not tell us how this ended. Fine, fine. And off they go. Luke doesn't tell us how it ended. Hey, man. We, We can't come to an agreement on this. And maybe it's better that... You head this way, and I'll head this way. I want us to feel, though, as Paul does an about-face and begins walking in one direction, and Barnabas does an about-face and begins walking in another direction, what are these two men thinking here? These guys, for the last four to five years, have just laid in the trenches of ministry life together. They helped each other over mountain hikes. They stared death in the face over and over and over again with every new town that they went to. And now God has brought about something I'm calling a necessary ending to the formal ministry partnership, and he has sent them in opposite directions. What kind of goodbye does this feel like? What is the emotion of a goodbye like this? Parents who've done the whole freshman in college thing, some of you are like, don't go there, don't do it. And you know, like you thought you were prepared for it, 
But there you stand as your 18-year-old, who you still see as an 18-month-old, walks back into the dorm room, and you get in the car, and you drive home, and they stay there. That's the kind of emotion of a goodbye I think is happening here. I've not been through that, but I have watched the end of Toy Story 3 now as a parent. <laughs> Eric and I wouldn't look at each other. She's like, are you crying? Yes. Are you crying? <laughs> if you've ever stood in the driveway of a lifelong friend who's more like family, and there's been a job change, and there you stand with your kids who are knee-high as you wave goodbye to a moving truck out of the Smith's driveway and your kids are crying, why do the Smiths have to leave? And you're trying to hold it together, knowing that friends who are family are settling states away. This is the kind of the emotion of a goodbye, regardless of how high the tensions were that I believe is happening here. And there arose a sharp dis disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas, keep going with me. Barnabas, he took Mark. Now, let me make some points here. Why is Barnabas so adamant that Mark comes with him? I think a couple of things. Mark is Barnabas's cousin. They're blood. And Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. He's going, Paul, I know, I know. He wasn't ready then, and we can build him up, and we can pour into him, and we can get him where he needs to be. He's kind of cup half full guy. And Paul's going, he's deserted us, and it's nothing personal. It's just like, you know how hard these missionary journeys are. I just don't think he's ready. Barnabas takes Mark with him, and they sail away to Cyprus. But Paul, verse 40, chose Silas. Silas was a man who came up with them from Jerusalem to Antioch. He chose Silas, and he departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. I want you to see the map here, and I want you to see the, di di the di easy for me to say, the divergent paths that God leads now these, what was one missionary team and is now two missionary teams, Barnabas and John Mark head south to the island of Cyprus. This is where Barnabas is from. Paul and Silas, his new partner in ministry, head north through Syria over to Cilicia where Tarsus is, where Paul is from. And together they go in separate teams to strengthen and encourage the churches that were established on the first missionary journey in two divergent paths. Now, I want to make the first point here that I'm pulling from this section, and I want to explain it, because I don't want to scratch your head going, how did you get that from there? First point for us is this. For the good of the church, for the good of the church, we can disagree on methods and remain united on mission. You're like, where are you pulling that? And what you might get hung up on is this word methods. It's what I got hung up on all week, trying to think of the right word to communicate what I believe is happening here. A method gets at this. Oh, sorry, let me say this. Mission gets at this. 
Mission gets at what must happen. Mission gets at what has God called us to do. In this case, to pursue his glory through the making of disciples and the launching of churches all over the known world. There cannot be disagreement on the mission. We have to be all about the mission. We have to be lockstep, arm in arm on the mission. Method gets at this. How do we go about doing that? How must that happen? And here's where I believe that the Lord allows some differences in how we go about pursuing the mission here. Now, what makes this method word so hard is that, follow this, the how thing here is a who thing. The how, how do we proceed in this, centers on a disagreement on who to bring with us. And that's what makes this method thing so hard and so like raw for us to get our head around. But let me ask some questions. Are Paul and Barnabas disagreeing on any core doctrinal thing here? What? No. Are Paul and Barnabas parting ways because there's some unreconciled sin in their life that we can tell? I don't see that. Are Paul and Barnabas divided on the mission that God has called them to of making disciples and establishing and encouraging churches? No. Paul and Barnabas hit an impasse on how, what is the best way to go about doing this? And this impasse centers on who to bring with them. And they can't come to an agreement on it. And they go in separate directions. Now, let me, let me play this out kind of in contemporary life for us, this point here. We cannot, as the body of Christ... Where we're in disagreement on core doctrine, we need to get God's word open in front of us and come to agreement, and God's word wins, amen? I I think this, you think this, can we meet at Starbucks, Bible's open, and can we get an agreement? Here's what God's word says about this, come on. We gotta be aligned on that, on some core doctrinal elements. Um, Where we're divided in the body of Christ due to unreconciled sin. Come on, people. Let's pick up the phone this week and let's get reconciled with our brothers and sisters in the faith. We can't be divided when it comes to the mission that Christ has called us to. God's glory through disciples being made. It's what he's called us to, right? Now, where does God allow some freedom in how we go about these things when it comes to methods? Here's a couple of examples. We must be unified when it comes to worship, the singing of praise to God, that worship is to be vertically focused all about singing to the glory of God. Amen? Whether a church exercise that through hymnals and the singing of hymns, or whether a church exercises that heart through a more contemporary worship um, um, style with words on a screen, do we care? We have preferences. It's why we worship in the the church that we've chosen to worship in, but do we care about that method so long as Jesus Christ is worshiped? Please say no. Okay. We believe together, I hope, that God has called us to preach the word. Okay. We take 
an approach to how to preach the world with what's called an expository method. We spend most of the year as a church opening to a book of the Bible, working through the very next passage so it ensures that we don't skip over anything God wants us to skip over. That's how we as a church go about preaching the word. There's other churches out there who are preaching the word with a different style and a different method that we are. We just care that the word is preached, amen? As the word being preached takes some different methods, so long as God's word is preached, that's what we want to see. Last one. We are a simple church in our philosophy of how we go about making disciples. Here's what that means. We emphasize three things. Gathering the body together for corporate worship getting the body together in smaller groups of people to do life communities, the study of the word together, and to hold each other accountable in that. We call those small groups. And then we believe that a disciple of Jesus will work, will work, will want to serve the Lord. And we jump on serving teams to serve the body here, and we try to equip people to be disciple makers in the communities in which they live. That's the philosophy we've taken as a church. Other churches are much more what we call programmatic in nature. It's a method. It just means they have a lot of programs that go about executing this mission of making disciples. We care that disciples of Jesus Christ are made. Amen? We're a simple approach. Other churches are programmatic approach. Praise God. Lord, use it. I believe you have a ministry methodology issue at hand as Paul and Barnabas go their separate ways. And you're like, I don't feel that, that word method. I know, because the hang-up is the how thing is a who thing. It feels so personal, because at the center of this impasse is a person they can't agree on whether to bring with them or not. So, we've just established that for the good of the church, we can disagree on methods while remaining united in mission. Now, Let me lead into the second point here, and we're going to jump right into Acts chapter 16. For the good of the church, secondly, God can use, get this now, God can use method disagreement for mission multiplication. God can use differences in our methods to multiply the mission here. Look at what happens in chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there. What was the disciple's name? A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all, know, all knew that his father was a Greek. As they, went on their way, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Okay, I want us to see this here. Barnabas and John Mark, they sail down to Cyprus, and Cyprus, this is where the first missionary journey began in Cyprus. They're encouraging the believers there. They're building up the churches there. Paul goes north with a guy named Silas, and he ends up in two cities where the missionary journey ended and where they turned around to come home in Lystra and Derbe. 
And while they're there, um, they come across a guy named Timothy. And now if you're familiar with the Bible, you know this Timothy guy is going to play a really, really big role in the kingdom of God thing. Paul, two of the books we have in our Bible, first and second, Timothy are Paul's letters to this guy. So think about this. Paul, or God allows Paul and Barnabas to go separate ways. Paul now takes with him Silas, who he's, he's developing, and they pick up Timothy, who's going to have a massive impact in pastoring churches and building up believers. I believe what was one missionary team, God has now just sovereignly allowed to become two ministry teams in which he's multiplying gospel work. This Timothy guy, going to have a massive impact on the church. Um, what did it say about what his home life is like? What did it say about what his home life is like? His mom is a, a Jew who is a, a believer. His dad was. In Paul's letter that he's going to write to Timothy later in life, he's actually going to say these things to Timothy. He's going to say, hey, um, I see the faith in you that I saw in your mom and that I saw in your grandma. I just want to kind of make an aside here. This is a, this is a side. This is a timeout. This is a means of stepping out of the story for a minute to encourage some of you who are in the room right now. From all we can tell, Timothy was raised by a, a, in a home where only the mom was a believer. And I just want to stop right here, and I want to encourage you that if, her, if you come here every single week, and you're, you're a mom, you're a grandma, who's working so hard to bring your kids or your grandkids up in the training and the admonition of the Lord, and you feel like you're alone in this because your husband is not a believer, can I just encourage you and say, what a hero you are. And may I say, I'm praying that your work will not be in vain and many Timothys will, will, will raise up from your home in the fruit of what you're pouring into. And I want you to know that as a church, we will lock arms with you for the bringing up of your kids in a home like this should you feel all alone in that pursuit. Because what you see the fruit of you see the fruit in Timothy's life of a believing grandma and of a believing mom who were pouring into him and who God had massive kingdom use for. Amen, church? Do not grow weary in the good work that you're doing. I'm sure many moments that feels lonely, you are not alone in it. And we will help you in that. And so Timothy is picked up here by Paul and Silas. The mission is moving forward. And I believe what we have here is God using a disagreement over whether to bring John Mark, a disagreement over a how, over a method thing, and he's multiplying his mission out of that. And um, we see God do this all the time today. God is doing this as we speak right now as the Big C Church meets in all different um, worship expressions and how they go about um, carrying out the mission that God has called us to. We as a church, uh, think about how this works in our own area right here. We as a church, missionally, doctrinally, relationally, we are in complete arm-in-arm -arm lockstep with churches in the area like College Park, churches in the area like LifePoint Church, and many others. But we're all meeting in different locations. Why? 
because God is using some different methods of how we go about the worship of Jesus and the making of disciples. And praise God, that is okay and that is good. God, build your kingdom through the method differences. But Lord, let your body be lockstep relationally, doctrinally, and on mission together. We good on this? Now, chapter or verse 5 ends in this. We see these two teams who've gone in different paths. Barnabas, John, Mark, down to the south. Paul, Silas, Timothy, up in the north. And we feel this tension. But how did this all get tied up relationally? Meaning, what happens to like, okay, I know that like the formal ministry partnership isn't going on anymore. What, what happened relationally with Paul and with John Mark? What happened relationally with Paul and with Barnabas? And I want to show you a really cool verse that we see at the end of Paul's second letter to Timothy. Now, mind you, before we see what this verse says, this is Paul's very last letter he will ever write before he dies. These are the last recorded words we have from him. And near the end of this letter, he writes to the guy that they picked up on the north after they divided over not wanting to take John Mark. Here's what he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.11. Says Luke alone is with me. Get who? Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. The guy years before who was standing in the background, like, this is awkward. <laughs> who Paul's like, he, no, I don't think he should come. I don't think he's ready for this. Years later, as Paul is penning the last letter we ever have from him, towards the end of that letter, he says, hey, get John Mark and bring him here because that guy is useful to me in ministry. Now, what about, so we kind of know how things tied up with Paul and John Mark. What about, um, how do things tie up with Barnabas? Now, I wish I, wish I could have a verse, a chapter and verse that I could point to like the one I just did. And in Second Hesitations 3, 4, it says, and <laughs> Paul and Barnabas met up at the Starbucks in Corinth and buried the hatchet. And, but it, it's, not, it's not there. It's not there. So I'm going to appeal to some things and recognize, follow my line of argument here. I'm going to appeal to some things and I'm going to point to one verse why I appeal to this. I'm going to appeal to the character of what we know about Paul. What we know of what he'll write about um, living in harmony with other brothers and sisters. What we know about this not being a man who's ever proven to us to be writing or teaching in hypocrisy. That if he's encouraging harmony and, and reconciling with other brothers and sisters, he's probably a guy who's living in that reconciliation as well. And then I want to highlight for us a, a comment we find in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, which would have come after the whole separating with Barnabas happens, there's just a short little comment that Paul brings up Barnabas, and here's what he's, here's what he's basically arguing. Hey, Barnabas is worthy of you guys supporting the wor his work. 
support Barnabas' work in this. And he's encouraging this church in Corinth to be supportive of, yes, his ministry, but also the ministry of Barnabas as well. I don't believe Paul to be a guy who's living in unreconciled relationships. And so for the good of the church, thirdly, I want to make this point on kind of the grand scheme of the story here. And that is this. Don't allow method disagreement to create relational division. Come on, come on, church. Can we never be that church? Well, I think we should hold hymnals in our hands. No, I think the word should be on the screen before. Who cares? Like in the love of Jesus, who cares? It's method stuff. And let's never make method stuff mission stuff. Let's never make method stuff relational stuff. For the good of the, don't check out, don't pack up, don't look at me, look at me. This is too important. I know it doesn't feel like it's very personal application. This is such high personal application. So that we can enjoy a unified body for years and generations to come and not get hung up and divided on peripheral method stuff that God says, I, I, I haven't really spoken to how to do that. I just want you to do that. And I just want to say, and I want to be very gentle in this, if as you're sitting here listening to this, if the Spirit of God is working on your heart right now, that there's a brother or sister in the faith in the past or a church in your past who you like, you went out guns and blazing over a method thing, oh God, by your Spirit, would you humble us enough to go back and have a conversation this week that says, listen, I made a mission thing and I made a relationship thing. I made a method thing, a mission and relational thing, and I was, I was wrong. Forgive me. Let's not get hung up on method stuff. There's a way we go about as a church doing what we're doing, but let's be unified on core doctrine with the rest of the family. Let's be unified on no unreconciled sin that's dividing us with the rest of the family. Let's be unified on the mission that Jesus has called us to with the rest of the family. And when we find ourselves over coffee with another believer who differs on us the method of how we go about that, let's say, hey, praise God that God allows the differences in that. Amen? We can disagree on ministry methods and remain in missional unity. And what I said at the beginning, I want to say again. If the church of Jesus Christ can get this, And if those who don't yet know Jesus can look in on a group of believers in Jesus Christ and see us so lockstep unified when it comes to sound doctrine and see us so lockstep unified when it comes to no unreconciled relationships and see us so lockstep unified when it comes to the mission that Jesus has left us with and then to see us so gracious and free with each other on how we exercise that when it comes to method. Oh, how I believe that God will get glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's never make method things, mission things. Amen? Church, stand with me in this, and I want to send us out of here today. And as we walk out of the gathering of the body of Christ, may we just simmer on some of these things that the Word has brought to light today.
May we ask God to help us always keep the priority on the mission, on relationship, and on sound doctrine. And may we smile and extend grace and freedom over the methods of how we carry that out as the body of Christ. Harvest, we love you. We love what God's doing in the midst of our body. You're loved and you're sent. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.